0: As we now come to listen to the voice of the Lord from the scriptures, I want to say, Jesus be with you. And to those of you at home joining us, Jesus be with you. And hello, mom. <laughs> Most encouraging news I've heard this morning we canceled a neighboring event the night at the brewery last night, and 75 of you still showed up and brought your neighbors. Waterstone, you rock. Seriously, you have really bought into this rhythm of life that we call neighboring. Neighboring is a way to demonstrate the love of God's kingdom to our neighbors by praying for them by name weekly, by engaging them in a non-stalking way whenever you see them to have conversation because our lives unfold one conversation at a time. And to be on the other end of that God works that way. And then the third is to, at some point, invite them to your table or to something here at Waterstone like a brewery night. And you, you, you are just advancing God's kingdom. And uh, I, I couldn't be more stoked uh, to be part of a movement like this. So uh, thank you for ignoring us completely last night. <laughs> We also wanna spend time before we open and talk about our Hallel Psalm this morning, uh, praying for our neighbors, specifically the Arvada community and uh, some of our churches around us. So would you just pray with me and take these words into your hearing, but through your heart and up to the Father. So let's pray together. Lord, uh, the story is that you made everything in the world and you made us, and you loved us, and the fellowship and relationship we had with you uh, was unimaginable. And yet, at a moment in time, we felt it wasn't enough, and we turned from you. We walked away. And you had every reason and right and justice to walk away from us. Holy God, but you didn't. But you didn't. You enacted a plan in your grace that called for your people to point to another moment in time when you would send your own Son to rescue us and to launch now this movement in this age that ends with the restoration of all things. We are just humbled and so grateful for this story and us finding our place and our life in it. Lord, in this time, before that restoration, there are hard days. And the Community of Arvada experienced that this past week with a tragic, tragic, evil shooting. We want to lift up the family of Gordon Beasley, the heroic officer who was ambushed, especially his two sons and his wife, especially as they Tuesday put his body into the ground. Holy Spirit, come to them. Strengthen them for that day in an overwhelming way. May they know you are near. May you be at work. And Lord, we pray for all of our police community as they grieve in the brotherhood and the sisterhood of the blue. We pray your help, your protection, your continued strength for those who watch over us. We pray for the family of Johnny Hurley, the good Samaritan who also tragically lost his life. We pray your comfort for his parents, your help. Lord, we, we just pause to say, why do these things keep happening? Why? We pray about them month after month now. It seems to never end. It seems like the laces on our society holding things together are becoming more and more frayed. And we don't quite know what to do about mental illness, about violence, about guns, about any of it. Lord, would you guide us even as a community here at Waterstone, but for other like-minded gospel-believing churches, would you show us the ways that we should engage today? And Lord, we do want to pray for our partner churches, both around us. We think of Southwest Community Church. We think of the Mosaic. We think of uh, the Abiding Hope, Light of the World, uh, Foothills Foothills Fellowship, West Bowls, Redemption Hills, uh, so many partners in ministry. We're grateful for each relationship. Continue to show us how we can serve together, but we pray your favor on each church even now as we all gather in worship. But Lord, we pray that what today would be as a refueling so that we can go out into the communities leaving here and leaving all our congregations and go back to neighboring and demonstrating the kingdom in this world. We pray your favor. We also pray your favor for any church struggling uh, from the pandemic. Uh, at lunch last week, Jesus, you were there with us with Pastor Isidore at His Love Fellowship down at 9th and Calumet. Struggling inner city church. The COVID has really hit their congregation hard. It took one of their pastors. Lord, they're reeling a bit. And so we pray your help of resources and partnership. And those who have can come alongside those who don't. We pray, Lord, for your help for a church like his love that might be struggling today. All these things, Lord, they're from our hearts. We give them to your heart. Ask for your strength, your power, your wisdom, your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> it was a September Sunday in 2013 when two suicide bombers walked into All Saints Church in Peshawar, Pakistan and detonated the explosive devices, killing 127 men and women and children wounding 250 people because pakistan is an islamic state the people in this church the christians were an oppressed minority which meant that they would work the jobs no one else wanted to work which meant that most of the people in this congregation were garbage collectors which meant that they had no safety net to help pay for any medical costs or funeral expenses. On Monday, those church uh, members walked back into their church and they gathered up all the shoes because they could be used by other people in the congregation. And then they began to clean the blood of their family and friends off the floors and the walls. The news reports said that the wails of their agony pierced the silence of their surrounding indifferent community. What the news reports did not say is that after they'd finished cleaning the blood, they reset the pews and they began to sing praises and they enthroned King Jesus in their songs. It's a 2,500 year tradition of God's people. Even in the hardest days, we will sing his songs and enthrone Christ in our praises. Why? Because it's there with him that we find strength, but also it's our mission. You see on the walls at All Saints Church in Peshawar, Pakistan. Their mission statement said, we will be a witness for Christ in an Islamic city. And so they wanted the surrounding community to know that Jesus will not be stopped. And they sing. It comes from songs like the one we're going to talk about this morning, Psalm 117. In a moment, I'll read it. If you're visiting with us today or new, we've been going through a series the last six weeks called the Hillel Psalms. They are Psalms 113 through 118. In the middle of the scriptures, there's this hymn book of psalms that God's people have sung for 3,000 years. And uh, the Hillel Psalms are the ones still today on the eighth day of Passover that they sing before the meal and after the meal. Hallel is the Hebrew word for praise. And these are songs that teach us to praise. Today, we look at Psalm 117. Would you read it aloud with me together? Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol Him, all you peoples. For great is His love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. First thing you notice, right, how brief it is. 17 words in the Hebrew. You're thinking, wait, that, that's it? What you don't see in these 17 words is the emphasis that God is placing on praise. It's in the very first phrase, praise the Lord. We've taught you again over the last few weeks that 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 word praise the Lord like begins and ends each of these psalms and it's the word that we often transliterate into English, hallelujah. Hallel, praise, Yah is like the first half of God's official name. What is this in the Hebrew, praise the Lord, it actually reads, listen closely, hallelujah way. Hallelujah way. It's like God's full name. He's saying that what you're about to sing is of such importance, if you will, that I'm going to use my full legal covenant name. God's signing the whole name. Hallelujah way. Well, what is it that he wants us to like underline here? What is it that's so massive that he would use his full name? Well, it's the scope of the psalm. go back to the verses we've underlined it so you can catch it all you nations praise extol which is a synonym of praise all you peoples now nations well it's a a hebrew word for nations (laughs) it means Land that's been claimed by people or conquered by armies, and you draw lines around it, and you read a map, and it's nations and governments and and, uh, uh, states, and it's this idea that Israel in their hymn book, uh, on a regular basis, they're to urge all nations to praise the Lord. Now, for Israel, I think we don't get how jolting that would be, because for Israel to meet read a map would be to read a painful history because those nations would have at different various points in their history names like Assyria or Babylon or Rome, people that have oppressed them. And so Israel's like thinking, wait, God, wait, you, you want us to sing and to urge all nations, even our enemies, to praise? Yeah. That's kind of the mission. And then all peoples. That's a Hebrew word that means peoples, (laughs) people groups, tribes. Uh, You see the parallelism of the poetry? It's every person, it's Jesus. Defining this when he came in John 3 and he said, For God so loved the world. He's reminding Israel by having them sing this song again and again and again that the mission is for God to connect via praise with every nation and every person. Now you think praise. Why praise? Well, as we've talked about, you praise what you love. The idea of praising is loving, and God wants heart connection, love bond with every person in the world. Now, what I want to just step into this hard with us for just a few minutes and say, that's always been the mission. For all nations and all peoples to praise, to have connection to God. That's always been the mission. It's the mission of the past when God came to Abraham by his own choice and said, Abraham, out of all the people in the world, I choose you. And you will become the father of all nations. And your ancestry I will bless so that you can be a blessing to all nations. That's always been the mission of God's people, Israel. And then it comes into the church. Israel struggled with it, and the church struggles with it. In a moment, we're going to put a text up there from Romans 15, and you'll see that Psalm 17, our Hallel Psalm, makes a reappearance in the church at Rome. And Paul writes it and quotes it. The context is this, what happened in Rome as a church started, we're not quite sure how the church in Rome started, uh, but uh, they were meeting probably in synagogues or in early Jewish believers' homes as the gospel went out and they shared it. Guess what? People began to say, that's Jesus, I want him, I need him, and they begin to be saved. And many of these people who were hearing it (laughs) were Gentiles, Non-Jews, different spiritual backgrounds, different spiritual journeys and practices. And what began to happen is as the Roman church began to gather, these saved Gentiles would come in, and as happened often in churches, churches start to say, wait a minute, who are those people? Who invited them? Do we really want them here? So listen to how Paul responds. (laughs) Accept one another. Then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring what? Praise to God. Connect with God at the heart. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, might be confirmed, and, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. That's an Old Testament quotation. Again it says, rejoice you Gentiles with His people. Another quotation. And then, da-da, Psalm 117. Paul quotes it. Praise the Lord all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol Him. Paul's point is this. This has always been the mission of the people of God. Israel into the church, we exist for others and to connect others in praise at the heart with God. It's past, it's present. Look how this particular text ends in verse 13. Here's how Paul wraps this this section up. He says, May God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, in context... What Paul was saying is, how do you know if your church is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? How do you know? It's a church that's reaching out to the nations. It's a church that's concerned with all peoples finding praise, heart connection with God. So it's past, it's present, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in us now. This explains your passion for neighboring Waterstone. But what we often don't think through is its future. We are heading, when we get on the other side of our death, on the other side of this moment in history when Jesus returns, the other side is going to be eternal multi-ethnic worship, multi-ethnic fellowship. Revelation 7. Here it is. After this I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out. They were praising together. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I want to underline that, right? Here's our future. Waterstone, here is our future. Every nation, tribe, people, and language together in worship and fellowship. So our mission is not just a past calling of God. It's not just a present work of the Holy Spirit. Our mission is as well to bring the future into the present and create such a ravishing picture of what the kingdom is like that people will want it now. That's why we exist. We are to be a prolepsis. I know I've fallen in love with the word. I can't get away from it prolepsis, representation of a future act or development as if presently existing. We are to be a prolepsis, a walking preview of what the kingdom of God is going to be like, bringing it now. Have you ever met a proleptic person? I did last Tuesday night. One of our church plants, Hopes Crossing, in some way, sadly, is closing down. It's a church on Wadsworth, just north of Hampton. It's closing down because Matt, the senior pastor, is feeling a call to pursue missions full-time. It's closing down because the pandemic has really been hard for Hopes Crossing, and they just feel it's time after 13 years of a very vibrant ministry, they're going to sell the building to another church plant, and the people are going to join that plant and help them restart, and Matt's time to move into missions. I have the privilege... Because it's one of our church plans of sitting on what they're calling their legacy team. Which means they're selling the building for a lot of money. And I get to sit with this team and say, you want money? Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. It's been awesome. Funnest meeting I've ever been to in a long time. Giving away the money. We're in the middle of this meeting. Discussion is good. I mean, everyone's like into it. And then we hear the door open. Not a knock, just the door open and in walks Brian. Matt Ellis seems to know Brian. Brian is a homeless person. I don't know if you ever realized this, that church, Bear Creek runs along behind it. Bear Creek, along that as, a, as an avenue for hundreds of homeless people when they come into the south of the city. That's still Denver there. And every day, hundreds of homeless people walk behind that church down Bear Creek. Brian, and this was Matt's beauty, I mean, he befriended most all of them. Brian walks in, <laughs> meeting comes to a pause, and Matt says, Larry, tell Brian your birthday. Including the year, so I okay, January twenty seventh, nineteen sixty two. Brian starts going with these verbal like guttural. So I couldn't understand what he was saying. And then he said twenty one thousand six hundred and ninety seven days. I look at Matt, and Matt says, "That's how many days you've been alive." And by the way, Matt's timing this. It was two minutes. And then Brian says. And you were born on a Saturday and then he proceeds to tell me every leap year since 1962 and I pull out my phone and look all of this up and he's absolutely right on the money (laughs) then (laughs) then Brian says I would have done it in a minute if I wouldn't been high on weed (laughs) and then Brian says they call me Brian, but you can call me heaven because this is what the mind of the future looks like. <laughs> Brian is a very proleptic person. He's the future. Well, maybe not. <laughs> My point is this. When people engage you, do they get a sense that you are a proleptic? Do they walk away like sh- from you shaking their head about the love, the, the hope, the... The joy. What's, what's got a hold of her? And we're, we're sitting here thinking, oh, proleptic. Yeah. That's the future. I'm the future. You are the future, Waterstone. You walk out of this building this week. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to show the people in your world what the future is like. Love, joy, peace, Patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit already living in you. You are proleptic. And your mission is to show people the future now. That's why we sing, All Nations, all people it's our past it's our present it's our future we have an opportunity waterstone in our southwest part of denver in this troubled age to show to the world what the future is going to be like and ravish them with a vision of god's kingdom so that's the singing that's why we praise but what do we sing about What's the, what's the song Lift Up About God that we should be singing about? Notice, he says, Great is His love toward us and His faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Love and faithfulness. Again, you see the Hebrew parallel structure. That's the poetry feature. Love and faithfulness. One thought advancing the next and completing the thought. What we're to tell people about God, what we're to demonstrate to them is His love and faithfulness. Love is the Hebrew word "hesed." It's hundreds of times in the Old Testament. It's the way that Hebrew people thought first about love. It's not romance love. It's not affinity. It's not even friendship. It's not compatibility. It's a kind of love where you make a proclamation of love and you say, I love you, and then the rest of your life is faithfulness where you back it up. It's love that happens because you made up your mind to love and it doesn't matter how you perform it doesn't matter what response is it doesn't matter what kind of person you are you make up your mind you bring your character behind it and you love no matter what you do that's what we're talking about i've been thinking this week a lot of our lives are directed by this kind of Hesed love we just don't always think about it that way I'm guessing that many of you in the room have a, a lifetime friend or a very close friend who has this kind of hesed love. I have one named Kevin. Uh, we've known each other since college. And we've never had this where, you know, we sit and we take this friendship uh, oath and we say, I vow to be your friend. We just bonded in college. And now, oh, I hate to say it, but almost four decades later, <laughs> Kevin, who lives up in Loveland, is, he's there. Uh, When I last year was going through my cancer journey and in some real hard throws and some hard days over uh, some coffee, I told Kevin that, you know, it is hard, but my greatest worry is for my wife because especially in church world when one of the, you know, visible staff suffers, he or she gets all the attention and it's like the spouse doesn't exist. And I... (laughs) For three months, every single day, Kevin texted my wife. That's acid. He doesn't just proclaim his love; he demonstrates it. It's the way marriage works, right? You make a vow, you say "I do," and then the rest of your life is about your character bringing to bear on those two words of "I do." <laughs> It's hard. It's a cost to love this way, right? Jan and I, we've been married 34 years. On Friday, we had a bit of a blowout argument where I said to my wife, you know, it's no circus living with you. (laughs) And she says, I'm I'm finally glad you see the truth of what it's like to live with you. (laughs) And we went away for a while. We came back. We were both kind of cut in the heart afterwards. We said we're sorry. We forgave each other and then we went to see Corella. So it goes, right? Some days, the only thing that keeps you coming back for more is that you made a vow. I try to tell young couples here at Waterstone that are living together, I say to them, look, I get it. I get why you want to try to live together and see if you're compatible. I get, you know, all this other baggage about marriage and such, but I want to tell you and make sure you understand this, that the kind of love you really want, it works backwards from the way you're thinking. The way love works and the way God's modeled it to us is that you make your pronouncement of love first, and then you bring your character to bear on that pronouncement. That's how love works. What years you're looking for is compatibility. It's a myth. I mean, over if you're on a long marriage, every ten years your spouse, you're gonna be married to a different person. It's true. So make the vow. And then do everything in your power and character to fulfill the vow. That's what keeps you married. Did it with my kids, two boys on a stage like this back in the movie theater in the early days, I offered them to Jesus and I made a vow that I would demonstrate the life of Jesus before their eyes. And that vow has cost me a lot. And any of you who are parents know that there are those seasons and those kinds of vows where prayer steals your sleep. but you stay in it, chesed. And I've made vows to the church. I made a vow to Jesus, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd that I would follow in his way and loving his bride. That vow, that vow has cost some too. But what I want you to hear is that the most beauty in my life has been the pain of those vows. And through it all, those vows are only a glimpse of the vow God has made with you. He has proclaimed His love for you he has said as far as the east is from the west so i've separated your sins from you he said as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is my love for you but then he didn't just say it he backed it up with his faithful character when he went to the cross and said here's how i demonstrate my vows for you I don't know why you've come this morning, but it has to be this, to hear it said again and again, God loves you. He has moved heaven and earth for you. He has given His own Son to save you. That's why we sing. That's Why we sing. Okay. You're thinking, okay, Larry, I'm tracking. The mission is nations and people, and we need to tell them about God's love and faithfulness and what He's done for us, but, I mean, Larry, have you looked around lately? (laughs) Faithfulness? What's going on around the world with the church? In 2013, Timothy Dolan, who was the Archbishop of New York City at the time, made what has now become a famous speech. And in the speech, he said that in the first decade of the new millennium, over a million Christians have been martyred. That's faithfulness? You know, in the news, we hear things all the time like Palestine and the recent war again where Hamas provoked Israel. Israel had like an over-the-top massive response. But what you don't read in the news is that in Palestine, over the years, 1.2 million Christians have been forced to scatter from their homeland. Christians. That's faithfulness? Myanmar. On the edge of Thailand, India, China. Oppressive military regime is attacking Minority people groups in the jungles, like the Karen people, and they're being forced into refugee camps in Thailand. Two weeks ago, I had the amazing honor and privilege to sit at a table with some people who've escaped from Myanmar. Our own Dennis and Marilyn Perlman in the Emmaus class have become a resource pipeline. There's a group of about a hundred of the Karen people organized as a church over in Aurora, and we've begun to established relationship and help for them i sat at a table and heard one of the women from this congregation tell this harrowing story i can't give you all the details because it wouldn't be appropriate for the young in this audience but it was just of how these this woman and her sister escaped into one of these refugee camps in thailand after their village was brutally brutally invaded by the military and now this woman this Christian woman is working three jobs in Aurora and every penny that she doesn't need to support herself, which is very little, she sends to this refugee camp that took her in when she was a girl. But I'm thinking to myself, why? I mean, <laughs> we're, we're hearing this story, we're all kind of in tears and like, and, and Marilyn Perlman, our own, she asks, where was God, do you think, during all this? And then there was this awkward silence when you could just kind of feel the air in the room like shrinking out and like a hopelessness sitting in. But then Pastor Rocky, who's the pastor over there, he himself escaped from Burma. He said, well, we Karen people, we are humble people. And when people are humble, mighty God moves in. And we believe that mighty God is at work even through our people. Then it came to me, this message in mind. Do you know where that strength comes from? It comes from the fact that our King sang this song on the way to His death. We've told you this, right, about the Hillel Psalms. They're still sung today on the eighth day of Passover. When Jesus celebrated on the last night of His life before hit the cross, He sang this song as He walked to His death. Before He shed sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, before He shed blood on the cross, He sang, Praise the Lord, all you nations, extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. And then he went on to perform the most faithful act since the creation of the world, when he died for us he sang this song in fact on the cross you know right you know he said his last words my god my god why have you forsaken me many of you know that that's a praise song that's the first line of psalm 22 and in the hebrew tradition whenever you sang the first line of a hebrew psalm you mean the whole psalm and do you know how psalm 22 ends All peoples will remember and turn to the Lord. The families of all nations will bow down before Him because He has done it. Jesus sang this song, and He walked it out so that the darkness would not win. Now, we can't stand up here and say that we'll never face darkness. The persecuted church... It's not what we're saying. It's not what they're saying. Even here in the States, it's not what we're saying, that you'll never face darkness. What we are proclaiming is that the darkness will not win. That's the good news. And that's what Jesus did for us. So you're saying, okay, Larry, you're talking about all the churches around the world, Pakistan and Palestine and Myanmar what does this mean for Waterstone I'm glad you asked our mission as a church is to be a people empowered by the presence of God to proclaim his kingdom and demonstrate his love justice and mercy to our neighbor that's why we're here what I'm asserting to you is that we're still on mission we are walking previews of what's coming we are carriers of the Holy Spirit we are Walking the footsteps of history, God's people on mission. It's what we're doing. But let's boil it down a couple of ways to think about this. One, if you are a business person or a government official, does it ever occur to you, especially as you enter, engage internationally with people here or there where they live, that you are the plan? You're the plan to reach the nations, you're the plan for all peoples. You are the plan. Does it occur to you, those of you who are in in college, who are young, or maybe at the beginning of your career, or those of you in this room that are past your career and have the youth of a new retirement coming? Does it occur to you that you are the plan and you have opportunity to give your lives to some radical things? What I would encourage you to do is to take the course this fall we're offering. It begins in August, the end of August, called Perspectives. Perspectives is a course that's about what God's plans are for the world and how we can be a part of it. And I'm telling you, we've offered this course, I don't know, five or six times over the years, and it's radically shaped our church. About a quarter of our missionaries have gone through perspectives. Four or five ministries we have are from perspectives. We want 50 people from Waterstone to go through it again just to see what God's going to do. But some of you are at that point in your life where you have options and you can say, maybe I could live overseas for a year. Maybe I could work, you know, whatever my training is in education, but maybe I could do it somewhere else. You have an opportunity to go to the nations. And then, lastly, this is for the young parents in the room. First of all, God help you. <laughs> Diapers, dishes, relentless black holes of attention. <laughs> Long days, short years. Number one. Number two, I challenge you, you with kids at home, to make your kids John 3.16 kids. What do I mean? For God so loved the world. Do you bring the world into your child's purview? I mean, it could be as simple as every now and then having an international meal and learning about that country. It could be as simple as taking your kids to one of our ministries downtown so that they experience cross-cultural, socioeconomic, racial diversity. It could be praying for one of our missionaries and their situations around the world. You can find out on our website. It could be learning more about the Muslim world from a great ministry we support called Encountering the World of Islam and our own Keith and Essel Swartley here at Y. I mean, you need to proactively, strategically bring the world to your child so that your child is a John 3.16 adult. I want to challenge you to do that (laughs) and encourage you to keep doing it because you'll have to drag them. Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they're in jail. They've got to be thinking, God, what are you doing? I mean, we're in jail. We're supposed to be apostles, right? We're supposed to be planting churches. We're in jail. Where's your faithful? then they start singing praise, connecting at the heart. And you remember what happened in Acts 16? An earthquake happened? Just happened at that time. The chains fall off. The prisoners were so intrigued by who they were singing about this love and faithfulness of Jesus that they stay. They don't run, they stay. The Philippian jailkeeper comes in and uh, he is stunned when all the prisoners, because if they would have left, he's gone. He is so moved by their preview of the kingdom that he and his whole family receive Jesus, get baptized. The gospel goes to Europe 1,600 years, our shores, and here we are. It's an unstoppable movement. How's your singing going? How's your singing going? Let's pray. Lord, for whatever this message is and was, I just pray you plant the seed of the nations in us today. And it would grow, realizing that Littleton in the latest census was 18% people of color. The nations are coming to us. Pakistan is here. India is here. China is here. Mexico is here. They're here. So we pray that as we neighbor and neighbor hard, that we would be a ravishing glimpse of the kingdom of God at Waterstone. Lord, I also want to pray for anyone here who's intrigued by what we've said and maybe doesn't know yet Jesus, maybe doesn't understand it all. I pray, Jesus, that you'd reveal your beauty and power and what's really going on in this world. Reveal it to them such that they would cry out to you, I'm in. I want in. Let me in. And you'd meet him today, Jesus. We pray all these things to enthrone Christ in our praises. Amen.